Welcome to the big thing on Total Soccer Show, the show where we dig into the biggest and meatiest topics in the soccer headlines. Today, we're talking Manchester United. The Glazer family took a controlling stake in the club in 2005, a move that was financed uh, with loans and only grew in controversy while the American owners were being accused of pulling dividends while using the club to run up run up huge debts. Uh, Chants of Love United, Hate Glazers are regularly heard at Old Trafford. And now Manchester-born billionaire James Ratcliffe has formally confirmed his interest in uh, buying the club, which will reportedly cost upwards of five to six billion dollar dues. Goodness me. Uh, Ratcliffe tried to buy Chelsea last year. He already owns Nice in League R and um, among other sporting properties. So today we're going to look into Ratcliffe. We're going to ask why Manchester United is up for sale and look at the future of that lovely Red Devilly club. My name's Ryan. My, my name's Ryan Bailey. I've tried that for a third time. <laughs> Joining me today is someone who can probably say their own name. Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? I can't speak, but otherwise I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I did enjoy that multiple uh, attempts at your own name. Ryan Bailey. I nailed it. Woo! Yay! First time. Graham Ruthman, how are you? I am very well, Ryan. How are you? I am wonderful. Uh, I'm not distracted by any kind of antipodean sport of a different nature, just so you know. No, no, neither am I. Neither am I. Good, 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 good. Joe Lowry uh, in California looking, you're just looking well, Joe. (laughs) He's just got a Californian bleached, bleached? Uh, Californian sun. (laughs) (laughs) I like how my identity is fully based off of where I live at any one moment. Uh Arizona Joe, now California Joe. I'm just moving west. I'm going to be hopping in the Pacific here shortly, it seems like, because there's really nowhere else to go as far as next steps go. Raul, it's, it's great to be here. Thank you. I can't wait. I can't wait for Joe to record on the Pacific Garbage Island. That should be a, yeah, a, a, a yeah. fun location for him. We should also clarify: we tend to record the big thing on Thursday, uh, right after we recorded uh, whatever the Thursday show would be. We are doing that again, which means Graham is still watching tennis. So, for people who were curious about that introduction to Graham, <laughs> and be like, it, oh, "What an odd way to begin the show by being like a man who mm. isn't watching other sport." Graham, you uh, are still watching the tennis, yes? Taylor, it's not up when you realize he's always watching tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't tell you about it most times, but I can't. An Andy Murray match, particularly this one, is is difficult to to hide, and he's just broken to serve for the match. So there was a, a fist pump in there as well. While while you while I did agree with everything you were saying, Taylor, the fist pump wasn't for for that. I understand. Uh, is it sad for you that no matter what Andy Murray does, he will still be the number two Andy tennis player behind Andy Roddick? Did that hurt you when I said that? I feel like I I said something that I was actively trying to bother you with. Nah, it's just not true, though, is it? <laughs> To me, he's, a, he's a number one um, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina resident named Andy Roddick. Mm. I'll, I'll give him that. Taylor, do you want to run through Andy Roddick's <laughs> biggest tennis achievements, your favorite matches that he played, the tournaments? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right. On that note, why don't we talk about Manchester United, which is what we all came here for today. Yes. Um, so to start off, Graham, I hope I don't distract you from tennis for too long, but I'd just like to ask you about uh, the Glazers and why now to sell mm. the club uh, and what kind of money they're looking for. We saw Chelsea. Was Chelsea five billion in the end? Five point four billion. Five point yeah, four. Right. So, are we going to see a figure north of that for Manchester United? Potentially, and and that is a factor in why the Glazers have made this decision to 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 sell the club. This is actually the first time we have done a big thing about the Glazers' decision to sell Man United because the World Cup was happening at the time, and Ryan was too busy stuffing, stuffing his face with Popeyes every single day for us to discuss that. But in November, just to recap, it was announced that the Glazers were going to put the club up for sale, and that the Rain Group, which was the financial advisor that conducted the sale of Chelsea, had been appointed to conduct this sale. As well, and of course, this came after years and years of pressure and protest from my United fans. Um, I don't know how much of a factor that was in the Glazers' decision yeah. to sell, but a it was taken <laughs> as as a victory of sorts by the fans. You mentioned there, Ryan, the reports of how much they want—five to six billion dollars. That would make it the biggest sale of a soccer club ever, and also the biggest sale of a sports franchise or, or club ever. So you mentioned Chelsea went for five point four billion in the summer, and that has set a precedent for what the Glazers believe is the asking price for my United, which ha- has larger revenues, a larger stadium, a greater standing around the world generally. Mm. So $7 billion might seem like an astronomical number, but Chelsea went for an astron- astronomical number as well, so maybe it's, it's, uh, it's not so realistic. If I can quickly run through maybe why this, and I will, I'll try and keep this short because there's a lot to this and there'll be a lot of discussion here, but I why this is the time. It feels like they've reached an, an inflection point as, as a club, so... 
The Glazers bought Minite for $790 million in a leveraged buyout in 2005. $250 million of that was their own money given to shareholders for the shares, and the rest was a loan secured against the assets of the club. That debt is still laden on the club, and the revenue of Minite has allowed the Glazers to service that debt and pay themselves millions in dividends, as, as you mentioned there, Ryan. Now, though, that the club isn't so cash-rich, their last few sponsorship deals have either stagnated or dropped, and the assets of that of the club like Old Trafford in the training ground, are, are crumbling. And it's got to the point where United need to invest at least £1 billion on infrastructure improvements alone, and that would require the Glazers to either take on another loan, which they wouldn't be able to service entirely through the club's revenue, or they have to stump up that cash themselves, which they're not likely to do. So I think it makes sense that the Glazers would look up to sell to sell up at this specific point. You have the Liverpool sale, which is a factor. You have the Chelsea sale. Then you have the Super League, which isn't happening. And had that gone ahead, that, that might have been another thing for the Glazers to leech off of. For another 10 years, that would have seen the value of the club skyrocket. Revenues would have grown further. And as I say, the Glazers could have got more out of this whole thing. But that is now dead, at least for the time being. And they clearly made the judgment that now is the time to get out and count their billions in profit. Taylor, does that make you a happy puppy? Yeah, it does. I'm I'm ready for the Glazers to be done. Uh, I I don't think like they are wholly to blame for the state of Manchester United, but I think it's worth noting that I believe the way they went about acquiring Man United cannot happen anymore. I think measures have been taken to make sure that that sort of buyout cannot occur, that the debt can immediately be placed back upon the club. Especially because there have been so many different teams in the Football League that have collapsed and are no longer solvent, no longer exist, have gone into financial ruin because of financial mismanagement. And I think a huge reason why United have been able to avoid that is because they are one of the biggest clubs in the world. They have the commercial reach that they do, and that's certainly something that has been expanded under the Glazers. Um, But I think it's not as though United have, have had the leaps and bounds growth that they have had because of the Glazers, I would say it's very much in spite of them looking for uh, like basically the shortest avenues they can find to commercial growth and commercial revenue. So I, I think to remove an ownership group that haven't put anything in, I, I believe I'm correct in saying they've put in none of their own money. Maybe it's like $100 million initially, but I don't even think that's true. While at the same time, Ryan, as you said, pull out dividend payments every single year for all the family members. You can just see how they are bleeding the club dry, even as the club continues to have money. But I think at this point, as Graham already hit upon, the infrastructure needs such investment. The squad needs investment. I think there's just so many different areas that it's no longer tenable. And I do think a lot of their Continued interest in the club was relating to the Super League and the expectation that if that were to happen, it's basically a license to print money. It's basically a new NFL. It's an American sports model with the biggest clubs from around the world. You're going to be able to make as much money as you want. I bet there would have been a salary cap at some point, and then it's a sustainable model for them when that falls through. Yeah, I think that coupled with the amount of money that uh, Chelsea were sold for sort of tells Manchester United, a club with a larger global following and a bigger footprint, we can make some money here and then the Glazers do some selling. It's like the house next to you sells for way more than you thought it would and your house is way better than their house. It's actually not on the inside. Just the outside's really nice and it's been around for a long, long time and it's won a lot of awards for being a good house. You're like, yeah, I should probably sell my house for like... Seven million dollars. That feels like a good idea. Yeah, your house that you got for free. Yes. Right. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Why I not? do have one. I do have one question about that though, because I think that's actually you guys did a really good job of outlining the factors behind why now is the time that the Glazers are looking to sell or looking for new investment or you know, however they want to frame that. My question, Graham, I, I got one for you. This is something that I legitimately don't understand because the financials of this are more complicated than in a lot of takeovers. So mm. Manchester United have spent more money on transfers than any team in the world over the last decade. Is that money also coming out of the club or is that money being put in by the ownership? I don't know. I legitimately don't know the answer to that question. So the money that Manchester United have spent on transfers with the Glazers as owners <laughs> has come from their revenues as as okay. as a, as a club. They are one of the, or they certainly were one of the most cash rich clubs in the world. I believe the Deloitte Football League was actually published today yeah. for for the last year. Manchester United are uh, fourth, I believe. I think only Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Manchester City. Of yeah. course, the, everyone believes that that is legit, and they are ahead of Manchester United in terms of revenue. Um, they are the only clubs in the world that are that are above. Manchester United in, in, in that respect. So the Glazers, as I say, the only money that has come out of the Glazers' own pocket with regards to this whole project was the £250 million yes. pounds that they paid the shareholders yeah. to 
uh, obtain their shares and gain control of Manchester United. Sure. Once they have been the owners of Manchester United, nothing has gone into the club. In fact, tens of millions of pounds has come out of the club into their own back pocket. Which which does say sort of what this club could be, right? One of the factors, I think you mentioned it, was Liverpool going on the market with, with FSG, Fenway Sports Group. That sort of came out, what, a month or two before the World Cup? I don't remember what the timing was on that. But you see another team up for sale, and now Manchester United and, and their owners, the Glazers, say, all right, we need to make sure we're not missing out on, on this piece of action. Manchester United has so much potential as a club. Imagining what they could do with that money that they spent on transfers, number one, had been spent wisely, which, which most of it has not been. And number two, if there was a sort of infrastructure inside the club and then also with the physical assets of the club to be this really attractive destination for players and really to become the biggest club, to, to fix themselves, to establish themselves firmly as the biggest club in the biggest league in the world. I think you can already sort of make that argument that they occupy that position now, but not really from a sporting sense. If, if all of the assets of the club are aligned and the on-field performance trends upward, they're not going to win the title every single year, but you can understand why this is an attractive prospect for owners. It's less attractive because they got to fix everything, but it is attractive in that you know the, the potential in this club has so clearly been wasted for years now to the point where you can see pretty easily, you can imagine how much better things could be with the right people pulling the strings. Joe, I'm glad you asked Graham th- those questions because my response would have just been like loudly screaming and groaning into the microphone uh, <laughs> yeah. about the way the Glazers have operated. Was and, that your and- match of the day the other night, Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> it was Definitely me recording that groaning. soundbite, yes. <laughs> um, uh, I'll, I'll just add this, that I, I think because it hasn't been the Glazers having to put in their own money aside from that in- initial investment, they're not having to finance transfers the way other owners do, I think – it, it shows the financial strength of Manchester United and why prospective owners will want to purchase them or would be interested in purchasing them. But I also think, to some extent, it shows the lack of interest the Glazers have had in running Manchester United as a football club. I think as a commercial brand, there has been a ton of interest and a ton of enthusiasm for finding new ways to get sponsorship deals. But I think ultimately... When it clubs, comes to the club itself, it feels like they look at the books, they see what the revenue is, they they carve out an amount of money that it is not theirs. I mean, it is theirs in the sense that they're the owners, but it's not them having to take money out of their checkbook, out of their bank accounts. And I think they basically just say, spend it as you will, good luck, and then they go back to the commercial side of things if they're involved yeah. at all. And in that way, I think that creates chaos because it's just – giving it to a manager who's there for a season or a half season or a whole season, who knows, a sporting director who maybe isn't the sporting director next season, and it creates just lots of different people pulling in lots of different directions without a clear vision. And I think to some extent, if you have an owner like Abramovich who who is footing the bill themselves, I don't think that's the best model necessarily, but I do think it immediately means there's more buy-in and interest from that ownership. And that means they're going to care about, do we have a direction forward? Are we developing players? Are we smartly selling? All of those things do not seem to be things the Glazers have ever really cared about. It felt much more like, "Ah, here's your allowance, go do that football stuff. Uh, We're going to go find a noodle sponsor in Singapore. I know the Glazers, and in particular Ed Woodward, who everyone who reports about Ed Woodward said, said, useless on the football side of things, very handy on the commercial side of things, at least for a period. I know Manchester City's revenues grew uh, exponentially with the Glazers in charge, but it very much feels like cynically they looked at the football landscape when they were ho- hoping to buy a club, when they were going in for a club, and they, they found, they, they identified a club that essentially could print money for them, that, yep. that could run itself. On the football side, they looked at a club that was managed by Sir Alex Ferguson and they didn't really need to do anything. That. And they said, we don't have to touch this club for fif- 10 to yep. 15 years and we're just going to pick up the, re- the dividends and the revenues from this. And then Strauss Ferguson retired, and then the last five, certainly the last five years, maybe even 10 years, they've needed to do things on the football side, and they've been ill-equipped to do that. So it's got to the point where Manchester United were in, were in such a commercially dominant position, the Glazers had no incentive to do anything on the soccer side of things, and now they're not. They're fourth in the Deloitte Money League, they, their sponsorship deals are dwindling, the stadium needs work, and that's why I say this is the inflection point for them to get out. Uh, listeners could not see me emphatically pointing at the camera as Graham was talking, but I absolutely agree. And that is a point that is worth doubling down on for a moment because I have seen many people, especially people relating to finance and banking, talk about how, but the Glazers have increased the commercial revenue. They've increased the global appeal of of this club. And in that way, isn't that better that this club can be sort of self-sustaining? 
And I would point to, no, Sir Alex Ferguson did that, as Graham said. We did an episode about uh, about Fergie and why he was such like a, a, a respected figure, why he is who he is. And a large part of it is that as he uh, like got on an age, he became much more of a delegator and was big into the idea of if someone comes to him with an innovative approach and a new idea, he is going to embolden them to sort of pursue that. And then he oversees it a little bit, but he puts them in charge of that. And it became increasingly a club run by his delegating where he was making the decisions and then sending the person out to make all of the the mini decisions from there and in that way he was running this organization and i think the glazers yeah really had a set it and forget it mentality of we're just going to let this guy keep doing what he's doing and then when he steps down it felt like the idea was well who's the next sir alex ferguson who'll be able to do that and i guess the idea was david moyes but i i think the answer that like daryl said way back when was there's no one who can do that 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 is not a person who is going to exist as a common figure as we go forward in football you cannot replace a person like that and and i think you have to replace them with all of the different personnel that he sort of filled the role for and you can't really do that if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to spend that money. And I think Manchester United persisted in a model that relied upon Sir Alex Ferguson, even though he quit coaching in 2013. And I think that goes a long way towards explaining the predicament they have found themselves in up until very recently. I can't believe I'm going to do this, Taylor, but I might defend the Glazers slightly there because if, if there is... I'll the find you. That... Do you want me to come to Italy? Is that what you want? Because I will right now if you want to do this. I'll throw hands. I'd love you to come here. Come say hi. Um, not with your hands, though. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned how the increasing of the commercial revenue. I would say, to be fair to the Glazers, that has been done under their watch. That's not Sir Alex Ferguson who's, who's, doing, who's getting the Japanese tomato mm-hmm. uh, sponsorship. It's, his, it's their commercial arm. Yeah, yes, it, it's predicated it, on the success that, Man- yeah. that Sir Alex Ferguson has created, but there could have been a less competent commercial arm or a less yeah, ravenous agreed. commercial arm who wouldn't have made those revenues. So we've got to be fair on that side do you do you, they do you, don't they don't have the opportunity to do that though if Manchester United aren't winning the Premier League no every it's, it's true we're, we're all dancing around the same thing right and these are all pieces of the puzzle right Manchester United can't be the club they are today without really success uh, ha- having real success on the field right that is important that is a foundation but the potential of the club is limited if you're not then taking advantage of the opportunities that you've created for yourself or that Alex Ferguson has created for you by having success on the field so we're Everybody's agreeing here. We're just not really saying the full thing. So hopefully that's closer. The one thing that I will say that I think Taylor will will like as a Manchester United fan is I think I do think the Glazers have done well and people involved in the club have done well in developing the commercial side of this club and running it as a business. The aspect, though, that I think they have been foolish not to tap into, and this gets right to what you were saying, Taylor, is Sir Alex Ferguson leaves the club. Where are they on the sporting side? They're only just now starting to find some sort of an identity, some sort of what looks to be a long-term plan. There have been so many avenues wasted, Champions League, Champions Leagues wasted, Premier League TV money wasted for not finishing high enough up the table. They have not exploited every commercial avenue of this club. So to look forward, which I think is what we're trying to do on this show, to look forward, that's another appealing aspect about buying Manchester United. That's another reason why there are people lining up to bid and to at least explore the opportunity to invest in this club is because they haven't tapped in every avenue. They have, maybe they have all the tomato sponsorships, but they don't have all the Premier League trophies. They don't have all the TV revenue that they could be getting from the Champions yeah. League or from the Premier League. That's another huge source of revenue that can couple the, the really commercial dominance that they've had and developed over the last decade or so. And when you contrast that, everything you've just said, Joe, with the, the Liverpool sale, which I think is an interesting wrinkle in all of this. And look, I'm not an economist, but everything that I read from economists, they all agree that Manchester United is the more attractive purchase, the more more attractive, uh, their, their sales pitch is more attractive, even though they're likely to cost a lot more than Liverpool. And it was reported by The Athletic only yesterday that FSG are now considering selling only a minority stake in Liverpool because there isn't the interest to sell Liverpool as a whole. And that is because, unlike Manchester United, I ran through all the all the the problems that Manchester United have with their sponsorship deals dwindling, stadiums, assets, everything like that, their lack of sporting structure and success on the pitch. That is the upside for potential investors. And in the right hands, Manchester United could very easily become a te- the first $10 billion soccer club, whereas Liverpool 
have new big sponsorship deals with with Nike. They they've redeveloped their stadium and are continuing to redevelop their stadium. They have a brand new training ground. Their team has been extremely successful these past few years. If you're a potential investor, where, where is the upside in that? Where, where are Liverpool growing from, from this point? So that's where Manchester United have, I believe, had a, a very big impact on the, the, sale, the potential sale of Liverpool as well. Mm. They're a blank canvas with a very leaky old stadium. Uh, let's take a quick break. Um, let's, when we come back, we're going to talk about the potential parties interested in Manchester United with the aforementioned Jim Ratcliffe, apparently the front runner. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Taylor Oakwell, we'd yes. like to um, look at the parties interested mm-hmm. in purchasing Manchester United, but uh, um, a, a touch note, uh, another note on the Glazers, if you will. Yeah, I, I think I, I hear what you all are saying, and I think I, I am definitely bringing my fandom bias to this conversation with a refusal to give the Glazers credit. I think the one I'm area. I'm not giving credit. I think they're terrible <laughs> owners. Thank you, Graham. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm about to kind of say the same thing. Um, But I I think if you do want to give them credit for the commercial development, what I would say is that you can see that as, yes, they built this incredible brand and they found new sponsorships and new avenues to make money. I would also say, in some ways, that sounds to me like they bought the club and then said, find a way to make as much money as we can without us having to spend any money. And I guess you can give them credit for finding successful ways to do that and sort of paving that way. But at the same time, I think they've established that and then now other clubs are following suit. And I don't even know if they are particularly adept at it as opposed to just kind of the first to go after all of these different sponsors the way they did. But to me, it still speaks to... A, a group of people who are trying to make as much money as they can while spending as little as possible. And in some ways, what it ends up feeling like, I was trying to think of a good analogy for this. And what I landed upon is it's as though somebody bought Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and just sort of like, look, Willy Wonka, you do all of the creation, everything you want to do. We're going to completely leave you alone, but we are going to find new ways to sell all of the many products you have. And then Willy Wonka retires and they're like, oh, 
oh, we don't know how to do any of that. We don't know how to do any of this thing. So we're going to put in a few different people and hope that they can kind of figure it out. And it sort of, it feels like <laughs> they were, if not putting the cart before the horse, had a very uh, business first understanding of how to run a football club and had very little interest in yeah. how to actually create a successful And they've done really well, club. though, Taylor, on that business first <laughs> note, right? There you go. And so if your metric for a successful football club is how many sponsorships do they have, yeah. Blazers are probably near the top of your rankings. And, but if you and have it's as if they've many taken home the, the chocolates. It's as if they've taken home the chocolate as well <laughs> yes, for, the, exactly. for themselves. That's actually the thing that, that grates with me most. For the, except that's, for that's the billion reason. dollars they spent on transfers. I mean, yeah. That's not their money, though. That's, that's money. Manchester I know, United's I know money. but they, if we're talking about them taking money out, right, they, could they not conceivably take it's out over that a billion. transfer money it's, as well? It's over a billion that the Glazers, either through interest, um, the, the interest payments on the debt or dividends, have taken out of Manchester United since they were owners. Mm. So you think about that billion that they've spent on transfers, Joe. That could have been another billion <laughs> yeah. that United, organically, through their own revenue, could could have spent on, on players. Does well, FFP allow that? Legitimately, I don't know the answer. F- well, FFP if it's related kind to of their revenue, then yeah. Once, well, I hate that I'm shilling for the Glazers right now, but once again, another <laughs> owner who would who maybe would have had that extra billion, would that extra billion have existed if they didn't have such nous on the commercial arm? So, well, the, this, well but no, Liverpool but and Manchester also, City being above them <laughs> in the football league. The I know we're all talking at the same time, but like you, you all are creating that scenario in which those two things can't coexist exist like you could have been very good on the business side but also had as much interest on the on the soccer side of things and then yeah you can still do all those commercial deals I don't begrudge them that I'm not even saying that was a mistake what I'm saying is that it felt like that existed not to make the team itself better which then allows you to have more sponsorships it felt like they were expanding the commercial reach to make money Solely to make money, and then some of that can go to the team. It's not the money to take, but, but it's also yeah. Then it goes back to the, to those owners, and so in that way, sure, do the commercial side of things. But then to Graham's point, that's all basically earned revenue that you can back up with financial reports. And then yeah, you have fine. Take take half a billion. That's still another half billion that could have been invested, and, and that's that's at least five Jude Bellinghams right there. Like I, I think it could have made I, that level of my, a difference. I also think we're saying the same. I think this is another case of us maybe saying the same thing but expressing it a little bit differently i liked i liked that bit while we were talking at the same time that was fun that was good podcasting there um you know i i said earlier i think a huge miss by the glazers is to not you know run the football side of this club effectively and i think everybody here would agree with that i think we're all just maybe have slightly different perceptions about this yeah um and and so that's why looking forward which is which is what we were supposed to do no i want to yell some more what we're trying to do looking forward trying but failing to do uh, i think that's a, a reason why there's a lot of potential for this club yeah, definitely so. Uh, oh, and Meh. by the way, I'm still thinking about the Willy Wonka analogy. I'm just thinking of David Moyes and the Chocolate Factory now, and uh, if, if we extend that one, I'm Any- thinking of Ferguson and Bobby Charlton sleeping in the same bed together, like the grandparents. That's what I'm thinking of now. <laughs> I like that. Oh, David Moyes, like on his first day, would have slipped and fallen into the Chocolate River and just floated away, and everybody would have been like, "So <laughs> that's an analogy for what he did." To so be like, fair. I guess Jose Mourinho then. <laughs> Random Falco holding his golden ticket and then um, falling into a river of chocolate. Let's uh, let's. But park that one for now. <laughs> Graham, uh, we mentioned that Jim Ratcliffe is yeah. the uh, reported front runner in the purchase of Manchester United mm. at the moment, but he's got some stiff competition from um, potential oil. bids from, yes, <laughs> from our friends in Qatar and potentially Saudi Arabia <laughs> as well. Yeah, so this is obviously a situation that is changing all the time, but at the, the point of recording, Jim Ratcliffe, who is the richest man in Britain, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more later on about who exactly he is and how he got his money, he has confirmed that his petrochemicals company, Enios, have started the, the, the official process of putting together a formal bid, and that makes him, um, I guess, the, the first official bidder for Manchester United. Yesterday, Sam Wallace of The Telegraph reported that a US investment fund called Sixth Street was looking to get involved, although maybe only as a minority owner. They already have stakes in Barcelona and Real Madrid and apparently won a stake in a Premier League club as well. Armancio Ortega, who owns the, the fashion brand Zara, among other very, various other companies and brands, he has said he'd be interested in bidding for Manchester United as well. But the real competition, as you referenced, Ryan, could come from the Gulf, where Avram, uh, Avram Glazer has, I almost said Avram Grant. I'm not aware of him working for Manchester United at this moment in time. Avram Glazer has basically been based there for the last two months. He's, he's been courting interest from Qatar and Saudi Arabia. I believe there was a lot of meetings. Is he held. rooming with Infantino at the moment? 
Potentially, yeah. Maybe Infantino's house in Qatar is so big he doesn't know he's there. <laughs> Avram Grant is squatting in Infantino's mansion in Doha. But yeah, he's been he's been out there for uh, uh, for quite a while. He's been he's been pictured in the newspapers. That this this isn't my information. This is all other uh, reporters' um, uh, information. And he has been courting that interest. And last year, the Saudi Minister for Sport said that the country would back any bid for Manchester United, whether that be from a, a, a private investor or someone attached to the regime. And then Qatar is actively looking to invest in a Premier League club, although not necessarily as a majority owner. So just last week, there were widespread reports that they have started talks with Spurs over an investment in them. So they could potentially, I guess, be interested in Manchester United as well. Hmm. Yeah. What, what, what do we make of this, Taylor? Um, it, seem, it does seem like there's certainly a lot more interest in Manchester United than Liverpool, for example. So that's a, a boon of sorts, I suppose, right? I mean... I let's we'll see. I guess is my answer to that because I like it seems like there hasn't been nearly as much interest in Liverpool. I was never entirely sure they were fully for sale or just selling the minority share, which is what they're doing now. Uh, but I think you have to kind of go with what's being reported, and in that way, I think maybe like uh, Middle East. I think there was reports of what interest in the Middle East, in the Far East, and even like South America and North America. But none of that was particularly specific. It feels very vague. Jim Ratcliffe is the only one who, I, I, as far as I know, has been like very specifically linked with Manchester United. But he's been linked with them in the past. When there were first rumblings that the Glazers needed to sell, he stepped in and said he would. So uh, in some ways, it seems like maybe it's, possi- it's a possibility. In other ways, it makes me wonder if maybe he is sort of being used to drum up interest by there being a person who is a Manchester United supporter or or was in his youth and has publicly expressed his interest in buying the club. I do wonder if some of that is uh, him being touted about to see if there's any other interest that could drive up that price a little bit. My my favorite part of the whole process was the week after the Glazers announced that they were looking to sell and no one had any clue beyond Ratcliffe who would be interested. And you had all the papers saying, Apple want to buy Manchester United and Facebook and Amazon and all these companies. Companies that have no history of buying sports clubs or yeah. teams apparently wanting yeah. to buy Manchester United. Elon Musk was asked, wasn't he? he was, oh, he tweeted once yeah. he was going to buy Manchester United, but obviously don't I would, anything he tweets. I would take the Glazers over Elon Musk, for real. 100%. 100%. That's a, that's a difficult choice, in fairness. They'd still make the money, at least, Taylor, right? <laughs> at least. At least. <laughs> and wouldn't be like... Instead of football, we're going to explore new ways of playing sport. Mm. And then he'd invest football in a the badminton team or something. Yeah, <laughs> Our yeah. latest Manchester United upgrade will see uh, fully automated players. There'll be 14 of them on the field, too. All two of them exploded. Rough, rough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so why don't we talk about Jim Ratcliffe then, um, who has, of course has confirmed officially that he is in the running. I don't know what that means. He's, he's just said he's interested, I suppose that means. <laughs> he's, uh, on a, he's on a joke. He just he, held up um, two giant sacks of money and was like, huh? <laughs> That's it. That's how you confirm you're in the running. <laughs> so even if, Avram, even if Avram Glazer is basing himself uh, in, in the Gulf, uh, they need only look down the street at local hero Jim Ratcliffe, born mm. in Greater Manchester. Who loves a monocle who lives in Monaco for tax purposes, a billionaire (laughs) owner of the company Ineos, who uh, trade in petrochemicals and fracking. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, so um, that's great. Um, Taylor, he owns uh, Nice in Liga, as I mentioned. He owns part of the Mercedes Formula One team as well. He already tried to buy Chelsea. Oh, he sort of did an 11th hour Mm semi-serious bid, it seemed, for Chelsea when they were up for sale as well. So are you excited by local hero, um, notorious fracker, Jim Ratcliffe? Uh, so, like, I, ha- I am of the opinion that anybody who has the billions of dollars or pounds necessary to buy Manchester United is probably going to have some skeletons in their closet. Uh, probably not going to be the the best of humans. Uh, that that said, there are degrees of that, and, and I don't, like, have an, an immediate beef with Jim Ratcliffe aside from... You mentioned Nice there. Let's talk about Nice for a moment. That's shall not gone we? well. It has <laughs> not gone well. And I think that's something that really bears, like, sort of looking at for a moment. Because if it were Jim Ratcliffe coming in, having run a championship club successfully, or having, like, like limited interest in other clubs, and, and it's sort of an unproven thing. But we look at Nice, who are currently 10th in the table. The list of people who are employed by Nice, who they have spent money on, I think they've released a few players since last we did this. But there's Casper Schmeichel, there's Dante, the 38-year-old Brazilian defender, Morgan Schneiderlin, Aaron Ramsey, Ross Barkley, Nicola Pepe, just to name a few. They're 10th. They've spent a ton of money, and it feels like it has been a 
let's buy some players who are big names who will sell some jerseys, uh, some players who were big names a couple seasons ago, and that should be enough to win in France. It doesn't seem like there's been a ton of, like, thought and structure put into Nice. And in that way, I have my concerns as well, because that's long been my criticism of the Glazers and the way they've gone about yep. building Manchester United as a team. Can I, can I provide a, a little bit? I take everything you're saying there, Taylor. Nice has not been a success story for, for Ineos and, and Jim Ratcliffe. But outside of soccer, his, his involvement in Mercedes F1 has gone remarkably well to the point where I know Red Bull are the dominant team right now, but Mercedes under Ratcliffe or with his part ownership have been historically dominant in F1. So maybe that provides a little bit more encouragement. If you get the right people in place, which Mercedes do have with Total Wolf, then he his money can provide success. Graham, I was about to say, if Ratcliffe comes in, they could get Total Wolf in as manager. I think he could manage any sports team and be a complete badass at it. And if you haven't seen Drive to Survive, listener, Total Wolf is the uh, team principal at Mercedes F1. He's basically a guy, like, when there's pressure on him, he grows bigger like Biff's yeah. grandson in Back to the Future. He's just He's just a... He's he's a tour de force in himself. He's also a billionaire on his in his own right. He is, yeah. <laughs> he is, yeah. He's married to Susie Wolf, is a, a an F one driver or a motorsport driver as well. So yeah, there's a lot going on in that family. I, I reckon he could be a Premier League manager. I definitely, I legit think he could. I think he, and I think he'd be really good at it. That's just my hit, my hunch because I think he. I saw he's hyper in relation to that. Lewis Hamilton was meant to be part, or it's been reported a number of times that he would be part of Jim Ratcliffe's bids, and I think it was clarified a few days ago that that is no longer happening. But that was a thing for a good number of months. Apparently, Lewis Hamilton was going to get a chunk of Manchester United as well. Fantastic. Monaco buddies pulling together yeah. for, the, for the greater good. We got the a, best we kind got of buddies. But, um, I mean, Joe, it's, it's a tough question, but does, does Ratcliffe feel like the best option for Man United fans? I suppose we don't know. The proof will be in the pudding, won't it? But um, maybe he's the least worst yeah, I mean, I'm not a Manchester United fan. I think everybody's going to interpret these options differently. I, I, I tend to agree with Taylor. Like, there's going to be skeletons in the closet for all these people. If you're if you're trying to pick an owner based off of morality, I think you're going to have a really hard time doing that. And to me, even comparing one to the other, you know, outside of the tangible like businessy or sporting things that we know, like comparing them as people one to the other is just a fool's errand. Like, I think that's just a way to make yourself sad about life and about people in general so to me there's not really a lot of energy that i care to expend on trying to decide if jim ratcliffe is a good person or not because i think we all we've all got our we've all got our issues so the nice example i think is an interesting one i kind of want this to happen just to see what happens with nice because you can't have uh, the majority owner i believe have two clubs that play in the same competition so if we do get to a world where you know nice is in the europa conference league and manchester united is in the europa conference league you know, what's going to happen there? Something's got to something's got to change. So I don't know what is going to happen with Jim Ratcliffe. I don't know if he's going to get the club or not. I don't know if he's going to buy it. He does seem like a decent option through this chemicals company, uh, but but really beyond that, I just don't know. Haven't they changed that rule, or isn't there an adjustment to it? Because like Salzburg and so, Leipzig yeah. have both yeah. been in the Champions League. Oh, that's true. They You're have, right. Yeah, that is that must be outdated then. Well, problem I'm, solved. I'm they can both play in the Europa Cup. You can't. I know you can't own two in the same league, so you can't own two Premier League clubs. So had he bought Chelsea, Ratcliffe is no longer able to buy the uh, Manchester right. United. Right. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, why don't we talk about? the concept of an owner what makes a good one and what is the best scenario for Manchester United going forward and what does the future look like regardless of who comes in uh, as owner back shortly this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role you don't want to end up with Ryan Graham and Joe just kidding Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can 
very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing. Taylor, I'd like to put a scenario on your plate. Let's say Jim Ratcliffe comes in. What's the best case scenario for Manchester United from there on out? What, what is the focus for you? I, I take it you don't want to focus on the uh, diesel engine partner in Malaysia, for example. I, I assume you want to focus more on the first team. I mean, there could be a scenario where, as Graham said, maybe a billion is spent on the stadium, which would get it up to scratch with what uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are doing to their stadiums. It feels like that kind of project is on the horizon, right? I I think, so let's say Ratcliffe does buy them. I think we'll have a good indicator in the amount paid because look at the Chelsea deal for a moment. I think it was 2.5 billion just for for the club itself. And then there was an additional 1.75 billion towards i believe like infrastructure and development bringing it to that like uh the 4.25 billion pounds whatever five point whatever it is million dollars uh but i think that it will will sort of be an indicator if if manchester united were purchased and there's an immediate purchase amount that goes to the glazers as the owners and i will hate that but it's the reality but then also there is a specific money amount of money carved out set aside for that infrastructure development i think that right there would be a really strong sign that they're going to remodel or I think there's a lot of conversation about can you remodel Old Trafford? Is it cheaper to just rebuild? I don't love that idea. Would rather they remodel, but I, I think that would be a strong sign right there of a new stadium, better facilities. Uh, the training ground is always kind of being updated, uh, but but I think that also probably wouldn't be the worst idea, uh, given that I know City have done a ton of improvements and done a ton of like uh, infrastructure in Manchester itself and building local pitches and local parks. I, I think there is some ground to be made up on that front. But I do also think, yeah, then it's it's sort of investing in the squad and investing in Eric Ten Hag. I think they they if it's Jim Ratcliffe taking over, you're inheriting a much more stable situation than Manchester United have had in a long time. It does feel like a manager that could be there for a good long while that you could sort of embrace his vision, which seems to be very much the Ajax vision, and you then sort of develop the academy accordingly, you invest in the squad accordingly, and then you kind of develop personnel around him so that you are all, again, pulling in one direction as opposed to a bunch of different directions. I think that would be sort of the blueprint, in my mind, for how you uh, reestablish them as a a successfully run football club, easy as it is for me to say. Stepping back, Graham, is it actually essential for United to compete going forward to have a billionaire to, to come in or or a, a golf state to come in. Is that the most important thing that you get a figure like that, a cash injection? Or is it more about culture? Is it more about creating a winning mentality, getting Total Wolf in there to grow really big and win everything? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, to do the team talks. Yeah, the, the thing with Manchester United is they, they could feasibly sustain themselves at the top of European soccer without the aid of a, an oligarch or a sovereign wealth fund. This goes back to what we were talking about with the transfer outlay that the club has had and, and while they've been able to maintain that despite the Glazers taking a billion pounds out of the club over the course of their ownership. So if you just have a, an owner that isn't holding them back in that way, then feasibly with the right sporting structure and the right people in place, Manchester United could compete. They are a rarity in, in that sense. They're one of the few clubs maybe along with Barcelona and, and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, maybe not even Bayern Munich given their limitations with the Bundesliga, that that could compete with City and, and PSG without a super rich owner. I think the to-do list for any new United owner isn't actually a long one, but there are, as Taylor references, some big items on that list. So I'll keep this short because I think there's only four things on there. I think they need to have another look at the sporting structure. United have actually made progress in this regard in the last 18 months with John Murtaugh coming in, but it seems like they could build that out a little bit more so that it's as strong as Manchester City's is. Number two, stadium improvements. We've covered that. Number three, training ground improvements. I saw Jesse Lingard today giving an interview that there's no games room at Carrington right now, which people are laughing at, and I understand why that is funny. 
But then if I've watched the Manchester City uh, Amazon Prime documentary and those communal areas are quite important to building a team. So it seems like an oversight that Manchester City don't have that. The fourth thing, and maybe the most important thing, is meaningful fan engagement because Manchester United haven't had that with the Glazers in, 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 in charge. That f- franchise has not been listened to. They've been disenfranchised for so long and I would suggest a number of fan bases in the Premier League ha- have been in the same time frame, but they need proper representation on the board. And, and that's what I mean by meaningful because after the Super League collapse, the Glazers come out and say, yes, we're going to listen to the fans more. We're going to have more forums. And I, b- I believe other than Richard Arnold going down to the pub to talk to some fans one afternoon there's not been any fan engagement. So they need to have people on the board that are reflecting the wishes of, of yeah. the fan base. And if, if Man United get those four things right, then I think they're on the right path again and they don't necessarily need a sovereign wealth fund behind them. I mean, it's tricky to find an owner who would satisfy those four things as well, I suppose, isn't it? Because they will have their own, billionaires tend to have their own motives is an issue, I suppose. So on, They tend to do what they want. They tend to. Um, and on that note, Taylor, what, what constitutes the perfect owner of Manchester United? Do they have to be ethically sound from where they've got their money? Do they have to focus more on the first team? Is it okay if the new owner makes less revenue than the Glazer regime did, but uh, has more engagement and connection with the fans? It's a tough question, and it's a really big question. Uh, And I think, honestly, can be picked apart in any number of different ways. Because... Like, I've wondered that as well. I've said before, if Saudi Arabia or if, like the Saudi wealth fund or whomever it is, I don't think they could buy United because they own Newcastle. I'm sure there's workarounds. But like, I have my issues with, with the Saudi government and uh, Mohammed bin Salman specifically. I, I, I wouldn't love if they became the sort of propaganda arm of that country. But at the same time, I, I don't know that much about Jim Ratcliffe. I know he hasn't had journalists murdered, but like I, I just I think they there are like purity tests that we know of. Purity tests can be a, a foolish thing, and I think it comes down to each individual's j- just feelings on the topic. And I think I would feel less comfortable with certain ownership groups than others. I, I don't know if there is a like, yep, that's the best person in the world. I'm I am a proponent of never naming your child after a celebrity or an athlete that you love or anything like that, because inevitably something bad is going to come out, something bad could happen, and then there you are with Khaleesi as your daughter. Uh so <laughs> I, I think with that in mind, I would like an owner who I think knows how to run a business because I think Manchester United do have those commercial interests. But I think the best case scenario is you have somebody who also came up or what like grew up with them winning with them being this very successful club that brought in some big names but developed young players had this like institutional legend in charge and i think in that way cares about the club wants them to succeed and will do what needs to be done for them to win it's like a less onerous Roman Abramovich, I guess, is, is the solution. Or the the late Leicester owner also feels like a good model for for ownership that cares about the commercial side of things, but also about developing a squad, developing mm-hmm. the community around it. So I think anybody who sort of is like cares about the local community, and that might be a strike against Jim Ratcliffe because I'm I'm pretty sure he is publicly, openly anti-union. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, famously very, very pro-union. I wonder what their conversations would be like. But I think anybody who cares about the, the community and making the club more invested in that local community, it's a local club and it should be, cares about developing the squad itself to make them the team that Manchester United should be, and then also cares about the commercial side and f- continuing to develop and continuing to rebuild the infrastructure. I think all of those things would make for a very good owner. Forgive me for going long. The last thing I'll say is... Much has been uh, written about like uh, fan groups taking over or uh, trusts coming together to buy the club. There was like the Red Knights a while ago. There have been different sort of uh, groups coming together to try to acquire the club. I do not think that's a good model. I do not think it will work. The Red Knights famously, I think before they even were able to come up with an offer, were already infighting about direction and who should be in charge. I, I don't think that works. And I think taking it to an extreme example... I mean, Barcelona and Real Madrid are run by the shareholders. They're run by the socios. And at the same time, that leads to elections for for who's going to be in charge, where it's about appealing to the broadest number of people you can. And oftentimes that doesn't lead to sustainable models for for development and growth. And so I, I think 
oddly to be adv- advocating for like a dictatorship or an autocratic regime, I think it requires one person to sort of have a vision and then and then put people in power around them to execute that vision, but to be able to adapt it to basically what is going to work the best long term. Yeah. And that's a very good answer, Taylor, uh, to a very difficult question. But it does it does highlight how difficult this is because even yep. the examples you made of uh, the Chelsea uh, Abramovich and the former mm-hmm. Leicester owner, both who've had controversial past with politics yeah. in their respective countries as well. Yeah. So it's it's very hard to find the perfect billionaire because billionaires, by their very nature, as Graham would say, shouldn't exist and is <laughs> are a problem in their own. Because yeah, even the ones that people like, like Warren Buffett, is is giving his money away or giving a lot of it away and. I doubt, like, and and maybe he also has skeletons in his closet, but I doubt he is then going to be like, you know what, instead of giving my money away, let me buy Manchester United. Like, I don't think that's a thing he's going to be pursuing. So Mm. I think you do end up with uh, people who love fracking and don't like unions, but also want to buy a football club. I'm just trying to draw the Venn diagram in my head there. That's a wonderful exercise. But let's part this conversation. Thank you very much uh, for this one. And by the way, if you want to continue this, uh, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, you can join our Discord. Lively conversation in there. We'll be continuing it there. But for now, Graham Ruthven, thank you for your expertise as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell, thank you as always, sir. Pleasure to get uh, the fans' perspective on this issue. <laughs> the, the fans' rant on this issue. My pleasure. I did want to ask Joe before we go how much the Glazers were paying him. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, we'll okay. just we'll just say I it's assumed. a lot. There's <laughs> there's a handful of zeros on there for sure. Well, uh, Manchester United supporters, you paid for that, so congratulations to you for Joe's <laughs> performance today. Well, I was about to thank Joe for being the voice of reason <laughs> yeah, in multiple instances fair. in this podcast. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, right back at you, Raul. <laughs> yeah. never, uh, I mean, uh, a more professional podcast would have re-recorded the bit where I couldn't say my name, but here we are, listener. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye! bye.